You are listening to Masters Cast. Masters Cast, the first He-Man and She-Ra podcast, episode number twenty-two for Oh my God, October twenty-second, uh, two thousand six. <laughs> I think you were stalling for <laughs> They're talking over the theme song, everyone. I'm gonna have to reprimand them later. My bad. Yeah, that's jam and stuff. Thanks for downloading. I'm John Callis, also known as The Shadow. I'm Josh Delioncourt, also known as Lioncourt. And I'm Katie Carty, also known as Rainbow Bright, here with my dog, Onyx. Now, the dog's gonna make noise? No. <laughs> no, she's a quiet puppy. She just likes to sit and beg. Now, I wondered if you guys realize this, but a little show called Master's Cast made its episode number one debut about one year ago, October 16th, 2005. Yay. Wow, happy anniversary, you guys. So we want to thank everyone who has listened to us. It's been a year. We can't believe it's been a year. So thanks for all of the, uh, you know, emails, voicemails, suggestions, complaints. I love them all. Feedback. <laughs> Our first episode was about uh, He-Man throughout the ages. Always good to give a whole big overview of what your uh, actual program is going to be about. So I think that was great. I think we had a lot of uh, really interesting shows. I think most notably my favorite, I don't know about you guys, but I think my favorite was our review of the uh, 1987 live action movie, that one. I that really, one was I really good. enjoyed that. Because I did my little reenactments of the original script. <laughs> that was you. cool. It, that was that was a really good episode. I think, though, overall, we've definitely improved over the year. Oh, yes, yes. I, I think audio some of the best episodes to, have been... Yeah, everything. Right, yeah, exactly. And, and we're, we're a lot more... Uh, I think we're a lot more comfortable with the whole... the, uh, the whole interacting and, and that sort of thing. The last... I would say the last half dozen episodes or so have been excellent. Yes. I've really enjoyed I finally get along episodes. with you guys. <laughs> I know that's so I know, hard. Up with that. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, what? Lion Court and Rainbow Ray? <laughs> yeah, that's going to work. <laughs> I think we are. Guess what? What? Voicemails! Oh my god! It's time to hear from you, the fans. Here are your voicemails for this edition of Master's Cast. Want to have your voice heard on Master's Cast? Go to www.masterscast.com and click on Submit Your Voice. And now, your voicemails. What gives? I haven't heard a new Master's Cast in so long. I'm going into withdrawal. What is... The admin at heman.org supposed to do when he doesn't hear Masters Cast on a regular basis. This is JVS3 saying, get off your butt and get some Master Cast done. Hey, this is TJ from New Orleans, Louisiana, and you're listening to Masters Cast. A note to uh, Josh, uh, actually, a question to Josh, I'm sorry. Uh, do you know uh, when and if they will be releasing the Batman and Robin cartoon series of 1968? I hear that Filmation made those back in the day, and I was wondering if and when that will be released uh, for the DVD release. Uh, you, you guys could let let everybody know know on that. That'd be great because we all we're all waiting on that. So okay, guys. Uh, take care. I'm a little nervous here. It's my first time to be recorded, so um, I actually called uh, four four times. So I hope uh, that you uh, won't get upset about that. Take care. Bye bye. Hey, he man. I just wanted to call and say I love the little throwback to the audio cassette adventures in the last podcast. You guys are always keeping things fresh. Keep it up. Hey guys. Sorry this was sorry the last message was so long winded. Um, this is Prince Adam 23, and I just got the, you know, the two-disc DVD set of uh, She-Ra, and 
my God, I was so impressed with most of the episodes. Um, I would have rather seen, and I got to go with with uh, Katie on this one, uh, Huntara. I had to just Huntara was one of the the really good episodes I thought because it gave Shira a really good chance to fight somebody who was almost, if not her equal, definitely a rival. Um, but uh, and uh, kudos to uh, to Lion Court there for getting mentioned in the uh, the audio commentary for the Secret of the Sword. Um, they mentioned you by name. I mean that was so cool. Um, keep up the good work with the the Masters cast and just keep pounding out those episodes whenever you whenever you can. I mean this is so awesome. All right, cutting it short. This is Prince Adam twenty three. Out. Buenos dias, amigos. Thanks a lot for all the nice time I already had and that I surely will have in the future when listening to your awesome podcast. I have to agree with Josh's opinion that some of the classic line character names like Grizzlock, Wildra, Redlaw and so on seem to be a little bit uninspired. But compared with some names of the new adventure line, they are still great anyway. Besides that, what's up with the Golden Book Masters video stuff? Yes, of course, those videos aren't animated very well, but I really enjoyed watching some of the episodes a few months ago after I recognized they are existing. And as so many of the human stuff is re-released these days, do you think it is possible that they will ever come out on DVD? Yes, that's it for this voicemail. Oh man, I never recognized that my voice sounds so horrible like it seems to. One more disappointing experience, that's really what I needed this week. Once more, thanks a lot for all the time you three are investing into this fantastic Masters cast. I can only say that I really enjoyed listening to every single episode, which you released until now. And I hope that the journey of the Masters cast will go on for a long time. So that I will be able to listen to a lot more of these fantastic episodes. Hasta la vista and greetings to the whole Masterscast team and all the people who are listening to Masterscast, the first He-Man and She-Ra podcast. Hey guys, it's Hallow Sunday. I just finished listening to all of the podcasts. I had a late start, but uh, I've been listening to them all over and over again. I'm starting to quote Shadow, quoting other people. In that last podcast, Rainbow Bright, your voice sounded very sexy. Never lose that strep throat, baby. I do hope you're feeling better, however. Line court, enough with the Lukey bashing. Some of us find Orko and Cal very annoying. Some of us think Lukey is a cool little guy. Your viewpoints on George Bush, however, I do agree with. I'd just like to say you guys are doing a fantastic job. I love listening to these podcasts. You cannot pump the episodes out fast enough. Keep them coming. I really, really hope to get a new one soon. Cheers. Hello, guys. I'm Chris Penn from the Dominican Republic. And everybody here are big fans of Mastercast. Now, with no further ado, I have a couple of questions for you guys. First of all, I really dig the old Masters of the Universe classic line. So I was wondering if you guys can do an episode where you could do some reviews of the old toys, especially the playsets. Because for me, personally, I didn't own by far one of the most impressive playsets ever produced for any toy line, and that is the Eternia playset. I remember when I was a kid, every time I saw that holy grail in a toy store, I was like, but my parents couldn't afford it. And personally, I think a lot of kids had the same issue. Thankfully, the internet means being able to buy anything you have ever seen. Now, because we are adults now, and we're all the masters of our universe, thank God, we have eBay. And now I'm planning to buy one. So I wanted to share with you that and hope to hear you guys' thoughts on this matter before I pay a thousand dollars 
to make that terrible memory wither away. And so, another thing that I have in mind is I want to buy a Snake Mountain playset to use it as a background display for the new figures. Because uh, I don't have the old ones, but due to the age of this playset, I was wondering if the if this place it looks good with with the new four horsemen designs again thanks for your time take care and keep up the awesome work hey thanks guys for sending in those voicemails if you would like to hear yourself on masters cast head over to masterscast.com to find out how or give us a call and leave us a voicemail our telephone number is 619-618-0301 regular phone charges apply now to answer the questions um and that's okay tj that you had to send us four to get it right it's okay we, we apologize i mean you don't have to apologize <laughs> But we do want to let you know that the either, I don't think. Yeah, the Batman um, filmation cartoons are not controlled by entertainment rights. They are owned by Warner Brothers. So we're going to have to sit tight and cross our fingers that Warner Brothers will actually release those. Same and, with the Superman releases. I would think yeah. that with all the attention filmation is getting at this point, they uh, they probably will. I mean, we've got the the Star Trek animated series, which we had absolutely no hope of getting on DVD a year or two ago, and it comes out next month. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of attention right now with the success of the filmation properties. Yes, and 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 Warner Brothers has been releasing um, the DC superhero cartoons, obviously Hanna Barbera ones or Warner animation ones, but they do control the filmation ones, so but um bum ching, we wanna see those too. <laughs> I know I'll buy them. I don't know about Josh. Uh I He's may a hater. No, okay. <laughs> I, I may definitely pick I, I would be much more likely to pick up the Batman ones than the uh, Superman ones. Well I really like the Batman ones. Warner Brothers released a video of, of them uh, just a few episodes. And the it, it airs continuously or um every now and then on a boomerang. So it's not that Warner doesn't realize they own them. They definitely know. So I've <laughs> <laughs> just forgotten. <laughs> and on to a one Mr. Staples asking um, why we're a bit uh, uh, length, lengthwise here between podcasts. Um, we're just very busy. We have such scheduling conflicts. Um, yeah, those horrible so, things called lives. Oh, so it's terrible. like, I know. I just... We we'll promise. try, Val. We try. We'll try for you. <laughs> we try. Um, we're guaranteed to have one a month, at least through the holidays. Hopefully next year, uh, once we have our new schedules, we'll be able to see if we can still get uh, two out a month. But just think that just gives you something to look forward to. <laughs> Every month, you get to hear our voices. It's, like, awesome. Right? Like, yeah. totally. Like, it's, like, like tr it's truly yeah. outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> tubular oh dear god and hey greetings to our friends from the dominican republic uh, i think we all love the idea of doing an episode about the classic toys that would be an awesome episode so yeah keep listening we'll keep that in mind and to the dude who loved my sexy voice hey baby what's going on <laughs> <laughs> i also want to read a uh, email since we have uh, the subject of uh, val staples he was the writer of the uh and colorist of the uh, new Masters of the Universe comic book that was put out by MV Creations. We got an email here from Alessandro, who says, uh, Hi, I'm 30 years old now, but have remained an avid He-Man fan his, uh, my entire life. I recently stumbled across Masters cast and love it. Good work. Thank you. Thank you. I have a question for you guys. I read on He-Man.org and MVCreations.com that a new He-Man comic was supposed to be released. The last update was in 2004. Whatever became of it? Well, the uh, new He-Man comic did indeed come out it was put out by mv creations and as you said you can go to mvcreations.com uh click on the little masters of the or go into the comic book uh section of the website click on the little masters of the universe logo and you can check out um pictures from inside the comic book uh the different covers um they did end up releasing uh three volumes uh, of the comic, also an Icons of Evil series giving origins for like Merman, Beastman, uh, Triclops, and also a mini series Raptor. for 
trapped out. Yeah. Rise of the Snake Men. So you definitely want to check those out. And if you want to order back issues, um, you can check out an online comic uh, book retailer such as uh, Graham Cracker Comics. That's at GrahamCrackers.com. So we hope you read them up. We do have a new comic uh, podcast show uh, in the works. So hopefully that'll be one of our uh, future presentations. But... I believe Josh will inform us of what we're talking about today. Indeed. A few episodes back, uh, I think I started off on a, a short rant, which hopefully we'll be able to extend for this particular episode as a full topic, on some of the parallels and, in fact, the sort of mirror um, opposite things that are similarities between our two uh, main properties here, the Master Universe and, of course, the spin-off She-Ra. Now, this will primarily focus on the cartoons because that is the most uh, fleshed-out uh, canon that we have to work with. So, basically, we've got... Uh, I, what, we'll start with what my original comments were from the past episode, and that is, between the worlds of Eternia and Etheria, we have a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of things that are very, very, very different. Um, on Eternia, we've got the prime, well, first of all, the good guys are in power on Eternia, which is exactly the opposite on Etheria. You've got the evil horde. Thank God. Hordak, <laughs> Shadow's favorite, who are in control of the planet. A sort of uh, Nazi-esque sort of control of it. They burn books. They they uh, you know brainwash their people. Essentially, high taxes, all that good stuff. All the things you'd expect from the dictatorship government. On Eternia, of course, the good guys are in control, and they are constantly defending the planet from a hostile takeover, which has already occurred on Etheria. We've got. Um, Magic versus technology. Now, those two aspects of the of both series, the universe as a whole, are um, heavily used in both series. But I think it's very um, easy to argue that on Eternia, it's magic that is the primary force or the more powerful force between the two. And on Etheria, there's a lot more technology, and that primarily being because of the Horde's presence. Hordak uses technology much, much more than he uses magic. Now, how do you feel about that? Do you, were you disappointed at all in the Shira series with technology kind of taking the primary role and magic kind of sitting back? I don't know if I quite agree with that, though. The Horde, yes. But the rebels, no, they would. I would say they definitely use magic more, wouldn't you? Like they don't have all these sophisticated weapons and so forth, like Man at Arms comes up with back on Eternia. True, but with He-Man versus Skeletor, that's more magic versus okay, magic. Okay, yeah. But I agree. The rebels not only do they have puny weapons like a pitchfork. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the main rebels, they all have some sort of magical power, I guess, except for Bo. Yeah. Well, actually, beyond uh, Glimmer and Shira and Angela, those three are all sort of magic-based. I can't think of any others that have significant magical powers. No, what about Pika-Blue? Pika-Blue does. True, she does have her multivision. Yep. True, but, but she, again, how she's often not does she actually exactly, appear in the series. Yeah, now? that's the thing. Oh, she did what? But Didn't she? well, no, she did appear in the series, but not frequently. Oh, right. oh, gotcha, that's gotcha. that's what he means. But um, I mean, even some someone like Perfuma, she's not really used that that much either. And although she was able to use her magic in a great Darn way, <laughs> but again, she was she wasn't used that much. And, uh, and others who, who got a few more appearances than those two who could be argued as being more magical, ones like Mermista and Frosta, I don't really count them as technically part of the rebellion. They were sort of About Madame Raz. Was well, we're she talking was about her. magic that works. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we're sorry, Madame Raz. Yeah, it's true, though. So... 
But I think technology, regardless of how you feel about it, technology definitely played a much more significant role on Etheria than it did on Eteria. So that brings back to what I was saying is, do you, were you, did that upset you in any way? Did, did you say, oh my goodness, this is going astray, they're focusing more on technology, there's not enough magic? Yeah, yeah, um... I think even more so as an adult, as a kid, it bothered me a bit because my my primary love in fiction is, has always been the fantasy elements. That was what drew me into Masters to begin with. Mm-hmm. Didn't detract from my enjoyment of the Shira cartoon, but I would have preferred a a more magical horde. I think primarily. Well, one thing I kind of liked is it, with Hordak and the horde being so, so much different. It's not like um, it's not like Hordak was a carbon copy of Skeletor. You know, because you already have, okay, She-Ra, the twin sister of He-Man. And yes, they did change her. She has more powers and everything, but essentially the same idea. Um, at least with Hordak and the Horde is much different than Skeletor and his minions. So I, I, I think, kind of like that. Yeah, I think you would have had that regardless, though, because of the simple fact that the Horde was in control. True, but... I mean, you wouldn't have Hordak, you know, with a staff and and shooting, you know, He-Man like that. This way you get the transforming parts. Uh, he sends out the robots uh, more so than Skeletor would also use robots, but true. obviously. Very true. Um, I, I really like that. As a kid, I don't really think I even had a care in the world about it, to tell you the truth. Yeah, it, I didn't bat an eye. I remember really loving the transformations that Hordak would go through. Like, every episode, I yes. was wondering what he was going to turn into next. Exactly. I found that very entertaining as a kid. I didn't really notice the difference as far as and magic. And I technology. think that really plays off of kids were really getting, you know, into the toys that transform. Transformers, mm. GoBots, those right. kind of toys were becoming really popular. So mm-hmm. obviously Hordak's toy did not transform, but in the cartoon oh, had that aspect. Cool. <laughs> I know, I always wanted a Hordak that had a detachable parts. Yeah. So you could put on, like, the, the rocket or the, the blaster arm. Ah, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> now, my question is, like, where the series picks up, the Horde is in control. But have they always been in control of the planet, or did they take over from somebody else? Well, it seems to me, and Josh, you put your input in this too, that the Horde wasn't originally in control, but it's really unknown as to when they actually took over the planet. Because you do have different communities or different kingdoms on the planet that still somewhat have control over their own area, such as Bright Moon with Queen Angela and mm-hmm. Mysticor with Casaspella. Hmm. Well, my thought on that is um, primarily drawn from Secret of the Sword, and I'm not sure how much uh, is uh, contradicted later on in the series, if anything. But uh, Hordak was originally on... Eternia, yes. Uh, presumably at the um, by the you know, under the orders of Horde Prime, he abandoned Eternia, and my thought is that he left for Etheria, and at that point, some uh, you know probably nineteen twenty years before uh, our you know the present day Eternia, Etheria, uh, at that point is probably when the Horde takeover. So I think it's probably a pretty recent development in Aetherian history, I would think. So it's it was probably kind of like Earth, like with different countries, basically, with their own rulers. Yeah. And then the Horde tries to is basically taking over the entire planet at once. Yeah, and obviously that would have had to take a while, so it, it couldn't have been instant whenever the Horde escapes to Aetheria. Right. Or, or, and really, they only But it would say, make sense that they haven't taken over to such a degree that uh, those kingdoms don't exist yet. Yeah, exactly. they're still. I think it's still in the process of even when the series begin. Sort of like um, when you look at uh, the Star Wars saga, you know, the later the later movies, the Emperor has been in control for a while, but there are still a lot of planets that are sort of their own jurisdiction, like Tatooine and that sort of thing. Yeah, and and Hordak really. I mean, he may have tried to before, but he really didn't invade the a Bright Moon, the Kingdom of Bright Moon, until Secret of the Sword. Right. Hmm. Exactly. Whenever he took over Castle Brightmoon, so 
But that is so. Getting point. back to that would our... be lovely to know. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead, Josh. Uh, getting back to our uh, our sort of mirror parallels here, we've got the the good guys versus the bad guys. We've got the magic versus technology. Oh, can we? Can, can, we really didn't elaborate on on um, good guys versus bad guys, except. It's flipped on the other planet. Which, which, which do you guys prefer? What do you think makes for better stories? The good guys being in control and fighting the bad guys, or the bad guys being in control and the good guys trying to, you know, fight them off the planet? I think they're both equally entertaining as far as entertainment value goes. But on a theory, I think the dynamic is a little more mature, mm-hmm. I guess you could call it. Um more I don't know how to say it but yeah <laughs> I really don't know how to explain it yeah, I think I think both um, concepts have their merits the the biggest difference being um, you know one advantage to the way that they did it in the master series was that there there was a lot of room for them to explore other things other than the main conflict between human and Skeletor, and while the Shira series did that to a certain degree, I think the fact that the Horde was in control and that we had this overarching uh, this overarching conflict in the series did, did, did detract a little bit from what they could do outside of it. So, it both, but, it, but it's, a more, it's, a, it's a more complex storyline as well. So I think both, both have their advantages and their disadvantages, their pros and cons. What do you think, Shadow? Well, I agree with you, Katie. Oh, that, course. Um, <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm not just siding with the whole She-Ra story because, but I mean, I do f- feel that She-Ra was better written, and I really think a lot of that stems from the way the story was set up. As you guys mentioned, it's it's a more complex story you have the you know the horde is in control they are rebelling against it uh, it sets up for a more mature audience that's why we have such episodes as um the price of freedom which i think rivals the pri- the problem with power um which which of course a lot of people love too but um <laughs> it's just that whole dynamic it's like you have to realize it's such a different situation on etheria than if you were you know you could stroll down the street in Eternia, and you really don't have to worry that much. But stroll down the street in, in Etheria, outside of the protection of the Whispering Woods, and you don't—you never know what when the Horde troopers are going to be coming through to take over the village or collect more taxes, etc. Now, one do you in- think? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, one interesting thing too that we—I think we have to keep in mind—is that they had a lot more uh, willingness, I think, amongst the writers and the producers when she restarted to gamble more than they did with the master series i think that the you know i i i love both series and i don't really differentiate between the two very much but the master series if they had delved more into the the background of the series which was um to a certain degree laid out in the series bible which they did explore um to to a certain degree in a lot of the storybooks things like the Castle Grayskull storybook and the uh, Masters of the Universe the long LP story um, you know the whole background of the Council of Elders and that this battle was foretold and a lot of the the history that they really didn't it was there as as a background for but it wasn't really utilized in through the course of the actual episodes of the series i think if it had been um it would have made the masters cartoon just as complex and mature as the shiron was they just at that point they were already pushing the envelope with the fact that it was a series based on a, a toy line that had never been done before um they were they were doing a lot of things that had never been done before and i i think that would have that was just one more gamble that they weren't willing to take at that point oh and and i completely agree that he-man of course does pave the way for the shiro 
series. Like you said, taking more risks, more liberties. They already were in their groove. They knew the characters. They knew how to write this type of action-oriented series uh, with a moral, you know, background. But uh, I completely agree with that. I, I don't want to. I don't ever want to take away the importance or quality of He-Man because it is up there as well. Absolutely. I agree. I think backstories would have been incredibly interesting, apart from what they did in the books, like you mentioned. Um, but I see your points as to why they probably did not. So uh, moving on with the main topic, the the next couple of things that we should point out, of course, the most obvious um, parallel opposite parallel between the two are or mirror parallel i should say are the fact that we've got the main protector of eternia is he-man who's a guy and the main protector of etheria is a girl yay girl power <laughs> we don't really don't really need to elaborate on that it's a sort of the obvious one now but well, how do you feel that even though they are twins of power Shira was giving was given significantly more powers than He-Man, even though she most likely has about the same strength. You know, I totally disagree with that assessment, though. Do do tell. <laughs> I'm all ears. And you now I I will grant you. Okay, she's got a lot more powers that are obvious. Um, the fact that her sword turns into a lot of different things, which I never liked anyway. Um, the healing powers, which she only utilizes once or twice in the course of the whole series, which is too bad because I think that was underused. Um, I think understandably, but still underused. Uh, but uh, He-Man, for you know, has a lot of things. You know, we we tend to think, oh well, he's the strongest man in the universe, and we sort of leave it at that. Um, he did have extraordinary uh, speed. He had uh, extraordinary lung capacity. Yes, but so did Shira. Did she? I mean, it did. I don't. I can't think of a specific instance where, for example, and I'm sorry, I don't remember what episode this is in. Perhaps you do. There's an episode of the original He-Man cartoon where He-Man by spinning in the desert turns sand into glass from the friction of his hands on the uh, in the sand. Mm -hmm. I forget what episode that's in. I can't see Shira doing that. Nothing against her powers, but I don't think she's got that sort of agility. No, I completely disagree with that. Just because they didn't show Shira say doing the exact same thing, I, I really feel that she would have been able to do that. Like Those type of things didn't really require some type of um, magical power addition where, you know, obviously She-Ra was running around, she's doing those freaking backflips and all that stuff <laughs> all around the place. I, I I mean, she's, you know, she spun around like a cyclone and I don't necessarily remember if she blew and the, the one time I'm really remembering He-Man doing that is... This horrible scene. I never liked it when he's when he's blowing the like air back into the horn of evil. Oh yeah, and he's like, <sighs> and I'm just like, he man, don't do that. But uh, uh oh, yeah. <laughs> he said horn of evil. I couldn't. Help I know, it. I know. But I really feel that that um, basically they're the same with that. Like if she could turn the sand into glass or whatever she wanted. Yeah, I can't remember a specific time where I saw her with, like, something in her hands crushing it like they did He-Man a few times, but I agree with Shadow. I think if she had needed to at any point that she could have. That's the impression I get. Rebuttal, Josh? <laughs> no, I don't have one. I, I don't really care either way, so it doesn't, it's not really a big deal to me. Oh, one thing so. I did want to agree with you on, and this is just a little, little side. Well, we can say He-Man's sword doesn't transform into anything. Uh, She-Ra's sword, as you mentioned, does transform, and you said you didn't really care for that. I like that idea, but I think it, people took too many liberties with it. I like sword to shield, and if, if I had to pick just one that she would keep, it would be sword to shield. The toy yeah. came with a sword and a shield. That kind of makes sense. That's cool. That's both metal. 
I really, really like Sword to Rope as well. <laughs> but whenever she gets into, uh, well, especially the episode where she wants it to be Sword to lots and lots and lots of rope. <laughs> That's better. But um, I, you're stretching it when it's like oh, Sword to Helmet. Yeah, you know, I would agree. things like that. Uh, just the simple things, because at least when it was Sword to Rope, usually just the blade part would turn into a rope. Good point. But, um, you know, I mean, yeah. some of them, they, they were better. Like, Sword to Flame, okay, that was oh, kind of okay. But, like, nah. Helmet, no. No. Sword to Shield, that's it. That's where I draw the line. I could I could deal with Sword to Shield. That That's it, though. There's nothing, nothing else that works for me. Because, like, what if it's a helmet, and then you drop it, and the glass breaks? What happens to the sword? Exactly. Would that just be, like, the jewel cracking? Ooh, good point. And then she'd turn back into Adora in front of everyone. Or, or, what if she... But she'd have a nice helmet. What if she transformed the sword into some object, say, an apple? Or, no, 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 let's not choose apple. Let's choose, um... A basket, okay. And then she gets hit on the head, she gets amnesia, and she forgets what she turned <laughs> the sword into. Or what if that someone set a good episode? What if someone set the basket on fire? <laughs> yeah, oh my god. It just leaves a little too much room for disaster. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and and I mean what what stopped her really I mean and this is stretching it, but from saying like sword to fright zone transformer or something that takes the fight zone somewhere else you know like yeah. I like that sword to magna beam there you go <laughs> we'll transport the fright zone to the valley of the law maybe she could only change it into things that she had already seen or knew about or like tangible items because now thinking back to um, and I will reference this um, the TV show I Dream of Genie. Now, I don't know if this happened in a TV show, but, but back in the 90s, I watched a TV movie. It was like a reunion movie. It was called I Still Dream of Jeannie, I think. And uh, Major Nelson, was that her husband? Yeah. Okay. He was up in space because um, he was an astronaut. And um, there was some rule where if you're not with your genie for a certain amount of time, you get sent back to Mesopotamia or wherever the genie's from. And her son is like, well, why don't you just blink him back? But like you did uh, something from the fridge or something. And she was like, well, I knew the, you know, the pizza was in the fridge. I don't know specifically where Major Nelson is. So maybe it's something, some kind of, I don't know if that made sense at all. And it probably didn't. (laughs) Yeah, it did. It's like, what's his name? Nightcrawler in Mm X-Men. Yeah be able to visualize where he's transporting to. Okay, yeah, same same type of idea. Yeah. So obviously if she doesn't know how that type of thing would work or she can't visualize it, then perhaps the sword wouldn't <laughs> transform into it. Okay, and of course the next order of business oh, he is... he just shut us up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> the next order of business, of course, is between um, the the two primary sources of magical power on Eternia Theory. On Eternia, of course, it's Castle Grayskull. Love Castle Grayskull. Best castle ever. I agree. On, on Etheria, it's the Crystal Castle. Now, we've got very different sorts of castles here. We've got the Castle Grayskull being this, you know, supposed to be this spooky, kind of horrifying type of edifice and you've got the crystal castle which is a very pleasant to look at sort of place up in the clouds you know and, <laughs> and the place that was pink yes thank so, god it, thank god, let me say thank god it was not pink in the tv show <laughs> so and of course you've got the sorceress who is female living in castle grayskull and you've got light hope who is presumably male living in <laughs> Castle now. Well, if Light Hope's a female, that's one deep <laughs> voice, right? <laughs> yes. Well, he's sort of like a disembodied creature. So. Well, I mean, yeah, he is just light, but. Right. Exactly. Colors. So, so uh, there's a lot. There's a lot that can be said here. Now that we, we've got those combined with everything else that we've covered, 
I think is, is it puts together a strong argument that that Etheria and Eternia are linked more than Etheria just happen happening to be where Adora was kidnapped to. Well, that, that's, um, that's a valid point because in, if you recall in Stone and the Sword, the first ones of Etheria are able right. to fix Adora's sword. Exactly, and I was just about to go there. The first ones to me seem to be sort of an Aetherian equivalent to the Council of Elders that yes. we know existed on Eternia. Um, I think, so yeah, and I, I think it's a very, very fair argument to say that that there's definitely a link that we are not entirely privy to between the two worlds. Of course, there's a similarity in their names as well. Aetheria mm-hmm. uh, kind of being drawn from ethereal Eternia being drawn from Eternia, and of course a similarity or eternity, and of course the similarity in the two, uh, the, the way they sound. Oh, one, my my, go ahead. Um, just real quick, I wanted to say that uh, you had mentioned um, you, you, when you were comparing them. I also wanted to mention that Castle Grayskull. Everyone knows where Castle Grayskull is. It's easily accessible by both the good and bad parties. The Crystal Castle, as you mentioned, up in the clouds. On top of Skydancer Mountain, which is obviously very tall, not a lot of people know know about it. It's kind of hidden, and the Horde is never actively seeking it to obtain, whereas Skeletor always is trying to obtain Castle Grayskull. Right, and does do the Horde even know of the Crystal Castle's existence? I I don't I can't think of a specific time when any Horde member specifically mentions Crystal Castle, knows of its existence, or um, you know, at the very least, they have absolutely no clue where it is. But I, I don't think they even know it exists, do they? Um, good question. I know the trolls know, and Madame Raz knows. Right. Um. Other than that, yeah, it's very hard. I don't really think they do, and I really think this is an untapped storyline that they never really fleshed out. Why is this castle there? Hmm. We know why Castle Grayskull is there. Why is the Crystal Castle there? What we even in the episode titled "The Crystal Castle," it was more so of showing how Shira discovered the Crystal Castle, but it really didn't give any backstory enough, of, you know, for us to grasp. Right, right, exactly. And you said the mountain is called Skydancer Mountain. Yes. I wonder if they stole that from Rainbow Bright. Uh, There's no. a horse <laughs> named Skydancer, and it predates Shira. Ooh. Okay, um, you're fired. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well. I gave her her pink slip, folks. (laughs) Oh, it's pink. Oh, dang it. (laughs) Copyright infringements this time. I totally walked right into that. Yeah, you did. All right, so. So anyway, my, my thought always, my personal theory always since I was a kid was that Eternia and Etheria were essentially mirror images of each other, of each other. Now we've got we do have some precedent for that. Um, initially, although it was never I, I don't think it ever became official canon for any of the series. In fact, I know it didn't. Um, but initially in the series Bible, we already had the concept of two sort of uh, mirror worlds between Eternia and Infinita mm-hmm. um, which of course was tapped into a little bit in the storybooks but not at all in the cartoon series. Unfortunately actually I, I would have liked to see that. Yeah I think that would have worked uh, as well or better as the two uh, very you know, the two um, different hemispheres of you know, the light and dark hemispheres of Eternia. Mm-hmm. Am I going to sound really stupid if I ask what Infinita is? No because that's why you're here. You are asking all the <laughs> questions that everyone wants to know. Good, because I don't recall <laughs> hearing that term before. Okay, Infinita was, of course, also drawn from the Eternity Infinity, uh, was another planet that was supposed to have been separate. You know, this is classic. This has nothing to do with the Mike Young production show, despite the what they drew from it later. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was another planet where uh, that was separated by from Eternia, by a quote-unquote mystic wall, which we never completely understood. It was where Skeletor was originally supposed to have been from, and he let, he tried to find a way through the mystic wall from Infinita to Eternia, 
presumably to take over, you know, to either take over Eternia or gain control of Castle Grayskull. We don't know a lot about it, but that's basically what it was. It was written about in the series Bible uh, by Michael Halpern, of course, and uh, and was also referenced in quite a few storybooks, uh, audio tape adventures, those kinds of things. Cool. My, you. you know, you're welcome. <laughs> and I, I kind of do wish they had stuck with it because I think it was a very interesting concept. Now, so that that sets the precedent for a a sort of a mirror world idea. We've seen that in a lot of other sci-fi and fantasy properties. Of course, Star Trek, um, which neither of you I don't think are really fans of, but Star Trek has. Hey, a, a... I like Star Trek. <laughs> okay, well, Star Trek has a whole mirror universe that. They've touched on. In, How you doing, Doctor Crusher? <laughs> in basically all of the Star Trek series, um, starting with the original Mirror Mirror episode in the original series, um, which was a basically you know here's the here's the same exact universe, but everything's backwards here. Everything's evil, um, which is a very very cool concept. So. My my thought, and of course we do know that a lot of Star Trek writers were working on the He-Man and She-Ra cartoons as well. So, I think they did um, a South Park episode like that. Good <laughs> Cartman and the evil Cartman got switched, and then they didn't want to trade them back because they liked oh, that's, the good Cartman that's better. exactly what happened <laughs> in the original Star Trek series. The good and evil Kirk <laughs> traded places. So that's probably what they were parodying. Oh, that's funny. So. My, yeah, my concept, my thought had always been as a kid that Eternity and Etheria were, were basically these maybe perhaps uh, two halves of a single world that got split, uh, maybe just in some weird magical way that Etheria had been created as a mirror of Eternia. Because I, I do think Eternia, if, if this is the case, Eternia, either they both existed simultaneously or... Etheria was born from Eternia, um, but in in I don't think it would work the other way with Eternia being born from Etheria. Well, if you go to that, uh, Hordak escaped to another dimension, and uh, the sorceress searched for Adora for many years, could not find the dimension into which Hordak had escaped. If he truly did go to Etheria then that would say that perhaps you're completely right, that Etheria is in some type of parallel dimension. Right. And, and it is occupies the, the same space. Yes. And Ooh, is, the like equivalent, is the equivalent of Eternia in that dimension. Yes. And I that's, think... That's it, my thought. Wouldn't it have been an awesome episode? Just let me throw this out here, folks. Is if, you know, say we're coming to the end of the series, you know, they did 130 episodes of He-Man, then let's say they extended She-Ra to 130, and they were like, all right, we're going to do a big finale. I think that would have been an awesome type of finale, where both worlds are kind of crumbling because the dimensions are, like, remerging or something. Yeah, that would have been absolutely excellent, and I uh, do, wish, do wish they had done something to that effect. Now, but, I've got uh, a question about Infinitum. If Skeletor is from... A, I'm confused, because isn't he King Randor's brother? So how is he from Infinitum? Well, because the, the, <laughs> the Infinitum stuff was written way before they decided to make him Randor's uh, brother. Right, yeah, long, long, long before. It was part of the series Bible written in, uh, I think, 1982. So. Okay, so that idea was introduced, the brother thing, until the Mike Young... Productions. Well, or was no, actually, it was the... hinted, hinted in the classic mini comics. Okay. Right. Exactly. But never confirmed. But I mean, it was officially pretty obvious. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was not really a, a question. There. I mean, um, there are some interviews with people that worked on the mini comics that did did confirm that was Mattel's in, intention, but there was no actual official product that said, "Okay, boom, Keldor is Randor's brother." Right. Or Skeletor is Keldor is Randor's brother. Mm-hmm. However right. you want to word exactly. it. Uh, well, I wonder, like, if, like, before the whole brother thing was introduced, if we were just going from him being from Infinita, I wonder why he left. Like, did he already conquer Infinita and now he wanted another planet? Or did he get shooed off of Infinita and 
Well, my he... my thought my well, I have I have two theories on that. One one from from just a practical standpoint, I think the original idea was simply that Infinita wasn't a very nice place to be. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Because you know, that's why he was he was leaving to go to Eternia. Now, I don't actually think that if if you want to go down a, a more speculative road, I don't think the concepts of Keldor and Infinita are wholly incompatible. Um, it's it's, I think, um, a logical assumption that Keldor in the in the classic series as Randor's brother had to at some point have, assuming he is Skeletor, which we must, at some point was delving into you know the dark arts for lack of a better <laughs> I like uh, explanation there. Potter, I think it's. Perfectly, uh, a, a perfectly reasonable idea to think that he may have, in, through the course of that, either intentionally or unintentionally left uh, Eternia, transported himself into in, Infinita, and was trying to get back. Gotcha. Um, I think that's sense. a very logical that would have, assumption. That would have well. made for some great storylines. I, I would like either of those, either Keldor slash Skeletor, a burned face Keldor, whatever. Is is exiled, perhaps kind of sent to mm-hmm. Infinita, much like in Superman, how the villains are sent to what is it the fa- the Phantom Zone? Is that what that's yeah. called? The Phantom Zone. Um, it could be something sort of like that, or like you said, Keldor is trying to uh, you know really learn the dark arts, so he goes to you know he travels to Infinita, etc. Of course, I'm not as fond of that one because he's supposed to be Hordak's pupil. But of course, that could happen after Skeletor already has a base of magic, and then um, he goes to Hordak for more of a leadership. Right, role. or you know, there, it could very well be that they that Hordak and Skeletor originally met on Infinita. That could be that could be something they could have done Which as well. Would have made a lot more. It would, would have made a lot of sense if Keldor had gone there initially looking for warriors looking for because like we know merman is from eternia because he's got the whole underwater city that he comes from and everything but we don't really know you know where beast man came from we don't you know there's a lot of these weird uh, you know web store a lot of these weird creatures and, who and don't of course have we're talking a race. about the classic we don't know yes where on the classic, classic on the yeah. classic of yeah. course we don't have you know these characters didn't have a race that they came from. Buzzoff had a race, Merman had a race, but there's a lot of these weird ones in there, like Beastman, like Webstore, where you're just like, where the hell did they come from? Why are they here? If they had come from Infinita, it's it's reasonable to think that maybe Keldor went there looking for warriors. Maybe he had heard about them, knew about them, and it's also reasonable that the Horde, who are known to have done very much the same sort of thing went uh there as well looking for very much the same thing that that's i like that i like that idea you should be a fanfic writer josh i i should (laughs) i think i you know i think i may write something along these lines it'd be a lot of fun folks i've known josh for a long time he has started to write many a thing And I never finish it because yeah. I'm too busy working. <laughs> well, actually, I've finished a lot of stories that are non-fanfic. Fanfic, to me, is a really hard thing because I love writing it. I adore writing it. But I don't have a lot of incentive to finish it because there's basically no hope of it ever being published, which is something that I really want to do. So I've been published. I've written articles. I've written other things that have gotten published. I've finished a lot of stories. Um, but fan fiction is just a weird area for me. Plus Larry Dottilio doesn't like it anyway. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. We forgive him. Uh, yeah. So that has been... Our little discussion on that. I think we've pretty much covered everything we needed to. And I'm glad. We... I have... oh. oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Shut I just wanted to say I'm glad we kind of kicked it old school style uh, for our anniversary special. I agree. <laughs> this was so much fun. But I just wanted to bring up one little thing because there was a thread going on. This was a few months back about the comparison between He-Man and She-Ra and their powers. 
And a few particular members were very upset, apparently, because they thought Shira was given given all these advantages over He-Man. And they didn't think it was fair. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I had a lot of really good points. Um, but I know one point that was brought out was that maybe Shira, at the time, you know, the time period that these shows came out, perhaps they gave her these extra powers because she, being a female, needed a little bit more to be accepted as a powerful woman instead of just here she is. Uh, because like the healing powers makes her more nurturing. Mm-hmm. She can talk to animals. Yeah. So maybe they wanted to give her this sword that did all this all these nifty things to give her not necessarily an advantage, but just to bring her up as an equal in the eyes of children who are still being raised in a men are better than women kind of society. I mean, the, those barriers were being broken down by that point in the 80s, but there was still a little of that mindset going on. So maybe that was one of the goals of giving her this extra stuff was to raise her up in the minds of little boys. I don't know. But I just wanted to throw that out there in case y'all had any opinions. And now that uh, we've covered all that, on a slightly different note, Shadow? Yes, I'm here. We must... <laughs> We must. We talked about this before the show. Oh, no. We have to say thank you to Mr. Weird Al Yankovic. Yes! We do! We have to say thank you! Well, actually, we might have to thank um, Seth Green, because I don't know. It might be be his stuff, because he's in that scene. But continue. I don't know, but thank you, Weird Al. Weird Al Yankovic has just put out a new album, which I love, by the way. It has one of the funniest parodies on there that I have ever heard him do, which is trapped in the drive-thru but that aside his uh i think the current single from that is called Ner- uh, white and nerdy which is my anthem anyway i am white <laughs> i am nerdy it's just it's so me i speak klingon i do html i yeah it's just me but in the music video there's a, a shot when he's singing about the action figures and there is i believe it's a snake tila right? yes a mint box yeah it's a Are mint in box serious Toy Fair exclusive that. Snake Tila. You can hardly Brilliant. see it, but it's on right on the top shelf. You basically just see the bottom part of the green box where it says Snake Tila, but she's there. How Brilliant. cool is that? Thanks, Al. We love you. So thank you, Weird Al. Now, I would like to point out that this is the third time in history Weird Al has been connected in some form or fashion with Masters of the Universe. First of all, of course, we had Adam Tyner, who was a big Weird Al fan, and when he met Weird Al, Weird Al actually said to him, oh, you're the He-Man guy, which that just totally cracks me up. We had, of course, in the commentary track to the movie UHF, the Weird Al film, he talks about Master of the Universe in that. He does? What does he say? Uh, he does because uh, Billy Barty was in uh, UHF ah, as well. okay. And Will he talks Lord. about the fact that he was known as Gwildor, yes. Oh, and uh, he talks about Mass Universe. And, of course, now uh, a Mass Universe toy appearing in a Weird Al video. So thank you, Weird Al. You rule. Sweet. Absolutely. I, I just want to throw out a thank you to Seth Green, too. He's in that scene. And Seth Green um, does a very popular show on Cartoon Network Adult Swim called Robot Chicken, where they take action figures and do do scenes that are funny and they've used Masters of the Universe figures quite a few times so and they finally did Rainbow Bright about a week ago <laughs> sorry I had to throw that in there <laughs> <laughs> so thank you Weird Al yes you rule Seth Green now thank where's you. where's Weird Al's He-Man song thank you I've been waiting for him to do an 80s cartoon song forever <gasps> That's a great yeah, we idea. need one. It's time for him to do one. I, 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 yeah, I bet you he will sooner or later. I hope yeah, so. Yeah, because a lot of Weird Al fans are our age. Yeah. So we're, we're his, by, by, you know, to a large extent, we're his audience. So. And he, not vocally, but in that same video you were mentioning, just because me and you are such big Harry Potter fans, he did throw out a little Harry Potter shout out in the scene where he's playing Trivial Pursuit with his buddies. If you are watching the video on the computer and you pause it right at the, at the part where he holds up the Trivial Pursuit card to the screen, there's actually a question that says, on what page in the next book does Harry Potter die? 
thought it was very funny. <laughs> that is awesome. That is cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Page 167. You shut up. He doesn't die. <laughs> right. He doesn't die. All right. Well, thank you all for downloading and listening to the show. Please leave us feedback, masterscast.com. Or call us at 619-618-0301. Regular phone charges apply. And yes, that is. Very good. <laughs> uh, memorization. Let's do our official wrap-up, shall we? Oh, yeah. Sign off. Wait, what? <laughs> why, why do we always wait for Shadow? I'm Let's John Callis, also known as The Shadow. <laughs> I'm Josh the Lion Court, also known as Lion Court. And I'm Katie Carty, also known as Rainbow Brights. Good, Good journey! journey.